I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today we are continuing a series of messages under the general title, Moving Beyond Me. And our scripture lesson is one of the two most famous stories that Jesus ever told, are parables. Uh, the one today, the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And of course, the other is the parable of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but both of these great parables are found only in the Gospel of Luke. How blessed we are that Dr. Luke wrote his gospel. Our scripture today comes from Luke 10, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> take my lips and speak through them take our thoughts and think through them take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you unless you speak nothing of significance will be spoken give us your word Lord Jesus Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, 
How big is your neighborhood? How would you respond? Some of you would tell me about your subdivision, where it's located, how many homes are in it. Others of you might tell me about your apartment complex, how many units are in it, how many families. And then some of you who live in rural areas might tell me how many families live within a half mile of you. How big is your neighborhood? Jesus was asked a similar question one day by a lawyer. And this lawyer was an expert in Jewish law, so really he was a sort of a combination of lawyer and theologian. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He was really asking, how big should my neighborhood be? For us Christians, few questions are of more importance than that. Let me set the scene for you. We are told by the gospel writer Luke that the lawyer was testing Jesus. That is, this was not an honest search for more information by the lawyer. No, he and probably the Jewish leaders who were in the audience, they wanted to put Jesus on the spot. If this were a courtroom scene, Jesus would be the defendant and this lawyer would be the prosecuting attorney. The lawyer and those who were in the audience hoped to see Jesus incriminate himself in some way. Earlier, the lawyer had asked Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, in effect, surely you know you're an expert in Jewish law. It's written clearly in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And the lawyer answered by quoting those verses perfectly. What must I do to gain eternal life? Love God and love neighbor. But that was not enough for this lawyer. The Bible says he wanted to justify himself or have the last word. Don't most attorneys like to have the last word? Many preachers do. In order to test Jesus further, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling one of the most famous stories in all of literature. Yes, Jesus could have given this lawyer a simple definition of neighbor. But, as the late great Peter Marshall said, a definition is a prison with its walls and bars and limitations. But a story, as told by Jesus, is a sunrise that casts a golden light upon the truth which it contains. The story Jesus told was about a man who traveled from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And the audience would have assumed the traveler was a Jewish man. And when Jesus said that he traveled alone, they must have thought to themselves, ooh, that's a risky thing to do. And I'll tell you why. Jerusalem and Jericho were only 17 miles apart, but the difference in sea level, elevation, 3,000 feet, that's approximately the difference between Caesar's Head Mountain up near the North Carolina line and Lexington. 
3,000. So just imagine if Caesar's head were only 17 miles from Lexington. Can you imagine what the road would look like? How steep it would be. No kid on a skateboard would dare attempt it. And if today you travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, you better hope that your vehicle has good brakes. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a continuous series of hairpin turns with boulders on either side, which means it's an ideal road for thieves because the traveler has to kind of go slowly because of the steep uh, descent. There are a lot of places to hide. And so even today, that area is noted for high crime. The, surely, in Jesus' story, that's what happened. This Jewish traveler was attacked by a great gang of thieves. They robbed him. They stripped him because his outer garment would have been worth something. And they beat him up and left him half dead. By chance, a priest came along. Now, as a clergyman myself, I wish Jesus had chosen somebody else to come along first. And this priest puts on such a sorry exhibition that it does not enhance the reputation of my profession at all. The, the priest looks at the man, and he cannot tell if the man is dead or not, and he doesn't get very close to investigate because part of the reason is that according to the Jewish law, if, if you were to touch a dead person, you were unclean for seven days. You had to be under quarantine, which means he could not go into the temple, which means he could not perform his priestly duties, and that means he would not get paid. So the priest had to choose between compassion and financial gain. He chose money. And he passed by on the other side. The next traveler to come along was a Levite. In Methodist terms, that means a non-ordained person who is on the church staff. Well, he too passed by on the other side. We don't know exactly why, but a possibility is this. It was a common trick of robbers to have one of the gang lie down on the road as if he were injured. And then when a traveler came by and stopped to give aid, the rest of the gang would jump out and rob him and beat him up. The Levite knew that this was a danger. And so perhaps he chose safety over compassion and passed by on the other side. Now the lawyer and his Jewish audience just know that the hero is about to appear. It's going to be a Jewish man who will come along and save the day. And then the message of the parable will be, who is my neighbor? It's one Jewish guy helping another. But oh, Jesus threw him a curveball. What a shocker. Jesus has the next guy to come along as the, the last person on earth that this lawyer would want to see. A Samaritan of all people. And no doubt when Jesus said the word Samaritan, his audience groaned. Because the mutual hate between Jews and Samaritans was deep and volatile. Uh, Jews regarded Samaritans as an inferior race whose religious views were heretical, false, dangerous. Uh, most Jews considered Samaritans as proper fuel for the fires of hell. And 
and most Samaritans responded to that kind of hate with hate of their own. But the Samaritan in Jesus' story is different. We don't know why. There's just no hate in him. He felt real compassion for this wounded guy in the road. And the Samaritan served him in practical ways. Uh, he poured wine on his wounds, which was an antiseptic. He bandaged up his wounds. The poor man was too weak to walk, so he put him on his donkey and led the donkey to the nearest inn or roadside hotel. The Samaritan stayed with him all night, taking care of him, and no doubt built a relationship. And the next day, he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which was enough to provide room and board and special care for six weeks. Now you think, in American money, you provide room and board and specialized care for somebody for six weeks? That's a lot. And the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, if you spend more taking care of him, when I come back this way, I'll reimburse you. And then Jesus said to the lawyer, which one of those three was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer could not bear to say the word Samaritan. Couldn't bear it. So he said, the one who showed mercy on him. Which reminds me of the Alabama football fan who was asked several weeks ago, who won the NCAA football championship? And he said, it was that school in that state south of South Carolina. <laughs> Just couldn't bear to say the word Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? How big is my neighborhood? That question still challenges us as Christians. Because our natural preference is to say, well, my neighbor is somebody like me. Somebody who resembles me. Maybe similar education or income level. Maybe somebody of my same race. Maybe somebody of my own political viewpoint. But Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what credit is that to you? For sinners too love those who love them. Where does your neighborhood end? What are the boundaries of your neighborhood? Does it include an unborn baby unwanted by its mother? Does it include that mother? How big is your neighborhood? What about the liberal who calls you a racist? Is he included? What about the racist who calls you a liberal? How big is your neighborhood? Could my neighborhood include that Muslim couple that I saw at the grocery store last week? She was wearing a burqa that covered everything but her eyes. Is that family included in my neighborhood? What about that Afghan refugee who by some miracle escaped from the Taliban and ended up in Lexington? Could he be included? What about the college student who waves his rainbow flag and marches in gay pride parades? Is he included? 
What about the woman of color who wears a t-shirt with the words black power printed on it? Is she included in my neighborhood? What about the homeless man I saw downtown carrying his sleeping bag? Does my neighborhood include the motorcycle driver waving a Confederate flag? How big is my neighborhood? What about the illegal immigrant who just got bussed to Lexington from Laredo, Texas? Let's think about that a minute. If you encounter a hungry or homeless person, I don't think you condition your help on whether he or she can produce an ID. But it is not con contradictory that after you help that person, you press our federal government to enforce our border laws for immigration down at the southern border. Americans have the right to be protected against criminal cartels and human trafficking and deadly drugs and terrorists. We cannot candidly and honestly discuss neighbors and neighborhoods without talking about race. Our culture is haunted by race. And there are some television commentators who tell us that America is a systemically racist nation. But we can't honestly blame the race problem on America's system. No, it goes much deeper, and it's more personal than that. The problem is the sin of racial prejudice that affects all races and all ethnicities. The sin is our tendency to focus on racial differences rather than what we have in common, and then to build barriers along those differences. That's the sin. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must all learn to live together as brothers or we will perish as fools. The reason Jesus was rejected when he went to his hometown of Nazareth was racism. He dared to declare to that Jewish audience that God loved a Gentile widow in Sidon as much as he loved any Jewish widow. He dared to declare that God loved a Syrian leper named Naaman as much as he loved any Jewish leper. And the hometown crowd couldn't stand it. That was just too much crossing of racial boundaries for them. And so they ran him out of town on a rail. Who is my neighbor? I think Jesus would tell us that our neighbor is any human being who has a need we can meet. Let me say that again. Our neighbor is any human being who has a need that we can meet. And when you meet such a person, don't ever assume it's an accident, coincidence. No. God often arranges such encounters. That could be God's assignment for us on that particular day. Is your neighborhood big enough to include any person with a need you can meet? John Timmer is a retired minister in Michigan. 75 years ago, he was a child. He and his family lived in Holland 
during World War II. His parents, in addition to him, had five other children. His parents made it a habit of taking into their home Jews to keep them from being killed by the Nazis. They knew how dangerous that was because if they were caught, the entire family, children included, would go to a concentration camp and might not survive. And John Timmer says that all through the years, he's often asked himself, why did my parents do that? What would cause them to take that kind of awesome risk? And then he remembered how his father answered that question. His father said, as God shows compassion to us, so we must show compassion to others. But preacher, somebody might ask, what if a person tells me that I cannot be his friend, he will not let me, unless I approve of his lifestyle? J just imagine that you've got a friend named Joe, whose behavior is clearly violating biblical standards. But he says to you, if you don't approve of my lifestyle, you cannot be my friend. How could you respond to Joe? You could say, Joe, I cannot approve of behavior that the Bible disapproves of. But let me tell you this, Joe. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. And that goes for me too. You and you alone can choose who is in your neighborhood. But let's go further than that. What about the angry folks who hate our values, who despise our God, who insult us, who would do us harm if they got a chance? What about them? Surely, should they be included in the neighborhood too? Well, Jesus answered that question when he issued this revolutionary, shocking command. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And Dr. King added, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. In one of Robert Frost's poems, he quotes the familiar line, Good fences make good neighbors. But the poet adds this. Before I built a wall, I'd like to know what I'm walling in or walling out. Walls and fences can restrict and exclude. Jesus taught us that our walls should be high enough to exclude prejudice and low enough to include compassion. Dr. King urged all Americans to be dissatisfied until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everybody will talk about God's power and human power. Jesus' words in Matthew 25 no matter how many times you read them, you can't avoid the, the sheer power, the staggering power 
of these words. The setting is that awesome day when Jesus will return to planet earth in all his glory to judge all people, to separate the saved from the damned. And then he will say to the saved, Come, you who are blessed, my Father, take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then King Jesus will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. During World War II, there was a Protestant chaplain serving with the 9th Infantry Division, U.S. Army, in Italy. And during his service there among the troops, he got to be friends with a local Italian Roman Catholic priest. They became close friends. And then as the months went by, the troops moved farther north as the Germans retreated. And the 9th Infantry Division and the chaplain moved north. And shortly thereafter, this Protestant chaplain was killed in combat. Well, the priest grieved over the death of his friend. He knew that the chaplain did not have any close relatives back in the States. So he went to the U.S. Army and asked for permission to have the chaplain buried in, his, in the cemetery behind his church. And the army agreed. But then the priest ran into problems with his own Catholic authorities. They were sympathetic, but they pointed out that the rules said that you had to be a Catholic to be buried in that cemetery. And so the priest buried his friend just outside the cemetery. The war ended, and some years after the war, a veteran of the 9th Infantry Division returned to Italy for a visit. And he had been served in a wonderful way by the Protestant chaplain. And so he visited his grave to pay his respects. He was surprised to see that it was inside the cemetery. And so he said to the priest, you must have gotten permission from your authorities to move his grave. But the priest said, no, they told me where I couldn't bury the body. But nobody told me I couldn't move the fence. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that's the business we're in. Moving fences, enlarging our neighborhoods, reconciling people in groups. And why? Why do we do it? Because it's in order to serve our Savior and Lord who said, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you do for me. How big is your neighborhood? In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.